Welcome to the perfect place for imperfect people. This is the Local Church Podcast, and we hope this message both challenges and encourages you. Here's today's message. Well, it is indeed good to be with you all this morning. Uh, My name is Micah McKelvin, and I serve alongside over 600 team members who are advancing the gospel and serving the poorest on earth right now. And I want to begin by letting you know that we're able to do that in part because of our partnership with you. Your giving is going and you're making a difference in your community, in your state, but through our partnership in some of the poorest places on planet earth. So thank you on behalf of our entire global teams. Uh, My bride and my kiddos, um, they are sending their greetings uh, right now to you. You can see my family up on the screen. Uh, They did not travel with me this time. They were with me throughout Africa. Once we hit Atlanta, they had to go home so they could get in school. I took a plane and came right down here. But my daughter, given Gracia, uh, she sends her love. She was actually screaming at Global Entry, Daddy, I want to go with you. And the officers had to step in and accelerate their uh, process through. so people weren't so disturbed. My son, Arrow Amani, he wanted to be here too. I told him next time, Eric said, you better bring that boy next time. And then my bride, my absolute best friend, Audrey, uh, all of them send their love. Hey, look, we've got teams all over the world that wanted to say thank you. My family wanted to say thank you. Will you give it up for yourself and for this local church for what you're doing in our partnership? And please know that I am not only thankful for the partnership, but I am incredibly delighted to be here with you this morning. Hey, worship was hot. I could feel the joy in the place. Turn to your neighbor and just let them know it's a delight to see you this morning. Now I'm looking out here and uh, most of y'all had two neighbors and for some reason you chose one over the other. So you got to turn to your second choice and you got to say, they let anybody in this place. (laughs) So as was mentioned, it's my second time uh, being here with you all. And with that, uh, many of you I haven't got to meet yet. Uh, And though that is the case, I know that we share at least two things in common. And first, we share a love, a respect, and admiration for your pastor, Pastor Eric. Hey, y'all, I, uh, I've traveled all over the country the last 17 years, speaking in a wide variety of places. I've seen lots of churches, met lots of pastors, and I'm telling you, you have something special. His heart for Jesus, his commitment to this house, his love and rootedness in this city, his love for the hurting, the lost. Y'all, I want to just ask you to join me in a hand clap. He's watching from home right now with his family. Got got a son a little bit sick, but we're believing healing in Jesus' name. We love you, and we honor you, Pastor. Thank you for your service. But we share something else in common. You and I both share a desire for delight. If you were to look up the definition of delight in the dictionary, it would read simply, a high degree of enjoyment. And the reality is, is built into our internal engine, wired into our internal being, is a desire for happiness, a desire for delight, right? No one had to teach you to seek your own good. It's built into the fabric of our very DNA. But there's a problem. 
in between us and the highest form, the truest joy that God has for us is an obstacle, is a foe, is an enemy. And its name is danger. You see, the path to the highest delight leads to the valley of danger. And the reality is in life, to gain what we long for, we must pass through that which we tend to avoid. And so it is with danger. But the problem? We've been sold a lot of lies on this subject. We've been told that instant gratification, we have been sold that true joy and happiness lies in self-preservation. We have been sold the lie that it's all about preserving personal comfort and getting your best at all costs now. And in that, we have been trained to forfeit something that God has intended for all of us. Not only impact, but a true, an eternal, a high form of delight. So we must reorient ourselves. And with that, I've put together a talk, three truths in a conversation we'll simply call Delights in Danger. So I want to add value to you this morning. I want to encourage you this morning. And for you note takers, I want to forecast the path ahead. I'm going to walk through these three truths. The first is a countercultural truth. The second is a bit challenging. But the third, it's where the good is at. It's where the gold is at. So if you get stuck anywhere in the middle, it's a little bit challenging. Just hold on because good's coming. But first truth, we've got to recalibrate. In view of the confusion in our culture, we really have to go against the grain for a moment. And I want to just share this simple reality, this simple truth. Here it is. Danger doesn't mean don't. Be safe. Take care. Look twice. Come back in one piece. I mean, good advice. I'll admit that one for sure. But, but in Christian circles, you'll hear oftentimes, and you could probably complete it with me, the center of God's will is the safest place to be. We are weaned to avoid risk. We are nursery rhyme raised to run from anything that looks dangerous. And the reality is a myth of sorts has become almost theology, and it goes something like this. To be safe is to be right with God. But what if I told you that in God's economy, Danger often means do. The character that we're going to draw from this morning is none other than Paul. The portion of scripture we'll be unpacking is basically around Acts 20 and Acts 21. And for those that aren't as familiar with Paul, Paul met Jesus very dramatically on a road to Damascus. He was actually fighting against God when Jesus revealed himself to Paul. And from that point, Paul was hard after Jesus, and he spent a portion of his life serving the irreligious but lost, the Gentiles, and a portion of his life was serving the religious but lost, the Jews. 
And in the, in the, the text and the portion of Scripture that we're looking at, Paul was uh, experiencing two things simultaneously. On one hand, he was being compelled. On the other hand, he was being warned. The compelling was this internal leading that he was supposed to go to a place in Jerusalem and share the hope of Christ despite coming danger. The warning was, there's coming danger. Now, as Paul is moving towards Jerusalem, the the warning gets clearer and clearer. It's coming in a variety of ways. And on one particular occasion, a group of believers with a prophet named Agabus, they meet Paul, and then we see this really unique scene unfold. We'll pick it up in Acts 21. It says, he, and the he is referring to Agabus, came over, took Paul's belt, and then he did something very unique. He bound his own feet and hands with it. So we're just going to take a quick pause, and let's enter the text. Right? Paul's walking up. He runs into Agabus. Agabus stops, reaches down, unbuckles his belt, really probably unties the rope around his waist. He pulls it off, and then he takes it, and he ties it around his hands, and then he gets down on his knees, and he binds his feet with it, and he says, I'm doing all this because I want to make something very clear to you, Paul. I've got a message that I want to make sure lands. And then you see the message that Agabus delivers when he says, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. Paul, in case you didn't realize it before, it should be abundantly clear. You move forward, you press on, you will encounter great danger. Now, what's interesting when we see the response of the people, the people of God surrounding Paul, it's very, it's very similar and it makes total sense to us how they responded. They say in verse 12, when we heard this, we and the local believers, what? Begged Paul, don't do it. Don't go. Why? Because clearly this means no. The spirit says there's danger. The prophet says there's danger. The people of God say there's danger. And danger means don't, right? And this is where we have to pause. We have to be reminded that wed to our internal DNA can, can be this formula of sorts that actually instinctively drives our decisions and can override the very thing that God is calling us into. And it's this hard-locked, hard-cast equation. And it goes something like this. Danger equals don't. But Paul begged to differ. And in the life of Paul, in the response of Paul, we learn something very valuable. We pick it up in verse 13, and his response is, Why all this weeping? You are breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord 
Jesus. You see, while many were suckling on risk avoidance, Paul was feasting. He was consuming thy will be done. Your kingdom come. I will go where you want me to go. And at this juncture, I want to just encourage you and I want to clarify. I'm not I'm not saying we throw caution to the wind. I'm not saying we live life recklessly. I'm not saying we we walk in mindlessly to things. But we have to recalibrate in a world that is increasingly opposed to the things of God. And with our flesh calling us to live according to things that won't last, I want to encourage you. Let's mission direct your sail. My dad, um, yeah, go ahead, feel free, feel free to clap, yeah. My father, um, my father is, uh, I, I, would, I would say, a, a role model in my life. I thank God for him. But there was a point, there was a, a moment when I was working through this whole thing that I felt the Lord was leading us to do in Africa. I had completed an undergrad degree. There were uh, offers, uh, good employment opportunities. I was working on a master's in counseling and during that time, uh, I felt like God was leading me to, to work amongst the poorest on planet Earth, to actually go and, and live for a period in, in Africa. And, and it was very foreign to me because I didn't have a, a missions orientation. I didn't even have a passport at the time. It was kind of like crazy. And so I called my dad for, for advice. And, and, and my father, I respect him, and I respect actually what he said and did. This is no knock on him. It was actually necessary to a degree. But when he picked up the phone and I said, Dad, I think I'm supposed to go to Africa. On the other side of the phone, it was, really? (laughs) I mean, you have a bright career. There's great opportunities in front of you. You have marketable qualities. Are you sure about this? There's, There's danger. Do you know what you're getting yourself into? And I remember for me, it really, it got in deep. And I went home at a certain point wrestling through this, and I, and I pulled out a journal, and I wrote down the 12 reasons why Micah shouldn't go to Africa. But by the grace of God, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, began to communicate to me, and that voice ultimately trumped any other voice. And with that encouragement, and in view of the fact that you will be talked out of dangerous things by your culture and by yourself, I want to offer you this simple takeaway at this point. Turn from opinion and turn to his voice. Because danger doesn't mean don't. So we have to start there. We have to recalibrate to the reality that, hey, uh, I may be called to things that may cost me. And I wish that that was the challenge and that's done and that from that point forward, it's a bed of thornless roses, right? I mean, that would be a great story, right? The challenge is the mental thing. And if you pass that, you can move on and then it's just a gravy. But the reality is it often doesn't work that way. That brings us to the second truth. One you may need to draw on in the future, so capture it down. Danger deals discomfort. So we pick back up and we find Paul. Uh, Paul 
continues forward. He actually enters Jerusalem. He's deciding to be faithful. He gets there. He's proclaiming the hope of Jesus Christ, but lies circulate. People oppose him. His work is challenged. A mob is formed. And then everything starts to go haywire. We pick it up in Acts 21, verse 30, and the text tells us in this moment as Paul is sharing in the temple, there's a total breakdown, and Paul is grabbed and dragged outside of the temple. And immediately the gates were closed behind him. I want to pause there for a moment. Imagine yourself in the text. You're here doing what God has called you to do. You're here seeking the good of the people that are in front of you. And all of a sudden, you are alone on another level. You're being grabbed. You're being dragged. And then these doors, something about these gates closing. Imagine that finality of wham, the gate shuts. And here you are totally alone with people that have an intent to kill you. They were trying to kill him. Agabus' prophecy is being fulfilled. The violence increases. The text tells us this, this, was, no, this was no we'll show you beating. It was a, an attempt on his life. Because they were not actually in authority in that city, the Romans actually oversaw the city. The Romans are called. The centurion comes in. The law is being broken. Somebody's life is about to be taken. And we find that as the Romans come into his aid to protect him to guard the law, the beating gets so terrible that we see in Acts chapter 21, verse 35, this. It says, as Paul reached the stairs, the mob grew so violent, the soldiers had to lift him to their shoulders to protect him, and the crowd followed behind shouting, kill him, kill him, kill him. Why? Not really why are they doing this, but think about it from Paul's perspective. Why, Paul? Is this seriously worth it? Why on earth are you putting your life on the line? Why on earth are you entering this type of danger? Why, Paul, would you knowingly walk in to this type of scenario? Why, Paul? Why, God, is this happening to me? God, I'm trying to serve you. God, I'm trying to do what you, I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to walk according to your way. I don't want to speak to the heart of someone here today. Maybe you're here, and because, you've shown, because you have chosen to latch on to God's principles, because you are trying to do it his way, you are experiencing pain. Maybe you said, I'm not going to gossip anymore. I'm not going to slander. I'm not going to be in that. Now you have no one to talk to. Maybe when you said yes to Jesus and your family, you lost your family. Maybe when you said, I'm going to live right and do it right before God, you were skipped over. You lost an opportunity. The job was given to someone else because you wouldn't play the game of culture around you. I don't know what it is costing you. I don't know what you have faced. But maybe there's someone in here today that you are experiencing a holy discomfort and inside your spirit you're ready to quit you're asking yourself, why, God? And I think it's natural for us to question him as we experience trial, suffering, and pain. But I want to tell you, he has not abandoned you. 
Emmanuel is his name. God is with us. He bends near, draws close to the broken reed. If you are facing challenge and trial and discomfort for the name of Jesus, hold tight. Delight is coming. Hold on. He is with you. Don't give in. It's on the horizon. Now, I also must be honest that there's two types of discomfort we can experience. There is this discomfort, right? The trouble that trods alongside ultimate triumph. But there's also the trial that trails transgression. And I want to just step into the pastoral role for a moment alongside your pastors. There is a chastisement that comes to us when we choose to go our own way and we walk against what God has for us. There is a holy discomfort that can come. And so if you are experiencing kind of that chastisement, if you're experiencing the repercussions of, of a trouble that's of your own making, I want to remind you that his arms are open wide, that his way is the way, that he has plans and a purpose. Sailing with the wind is the only wind that you want to go with in Christ Jesus. And so if that is you, run back to his arms. Lean back into him. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is long-suffering. He understands. He's a sympathetic high priest. He is, he is bringing in discomfort so that you will turn back to him. But what we're talking about is that reality that in this life you will have trouble. And for following him, you may experience discomfort. As I was thinking about this opportunity to share with you, I was thinking about the early days of Vapor Ministries. I actually dropped out of school, lived in my car for ultimately a year and eight months, so a couple years homeless, didn't take a hot shower for a year, ate a dollar fifty a day. It was a, it was a crazy, crazy uh, beginning of the ministry. 17 years celebrated yesterday. And in year one, living in Africa and some unique challenges, uh, we, we were seeing God do some great things, uh, and, and, and there was an opportunity to serve alongside of a professional soccer team. And so some of the folks that I was discipling and mentoring played on this team, and we began to do that, and we saw God move. We saw God work. We saw players coming to faith in Christ. Some of those players are now playing at the highest level in the world. But one particular day, we were invited to play in a portion of the country where there's a lot of witchcraft and voodoo. Uh, both of those things were foreign to my orientation. And the tribe that was hosting us, they had a professional team. And we got to the stadium. And when we got there, there was no police, no security. And you can cancel the game when the police and the security aren't there because it can get kind of crazy. We decided to move forward. But at the very beginning, before the game started, I was wondering if that was the right choice. <laughs> I stepped on the field and there was kind of a frenzy that broke out in the crowd and one of the referees came over and he said, hey, young man, I'm going to ask you to step off the field. And I said, why? And he said, well, there's been bones placed at the edge of the goals and there was seances done and there's a belief that as you're stepping on the field, you're counteracting spells. And I was just like, this is crazy. <laughs> I've never heard of such a thing. I was like, no problem. Let me step back, you know. And, and about probably halfway through the game, like it was just this weird vibe. Like you could tell, it was just different. And this fight broke out in the crowds. I mean, thousands of people. And we had a small group of folks that had come with us and, and they, they left. And so I'm just like, I, I just don't feel right about this. I went to one of the team officials and I said, hey, 
look, I want to charter a couple buses, get them right here at the gate. As soon as the game's done, let's hop in, let's get out. He said, hey, Mike, I live here. This is Africa. We'll be fine. Nothing's wrong. And then the worst thing that could have happened happened. We won. And as soon as that whistle blew, it was game on. And I am telling you, it was on national television and rocks were being thrown. My ribs almost broke. Fists are flying. It was chaotic. It was crazy. And I was sure we were going to die. I mean, it was, a, it was unbelievable what took place and how God delivered us. I actually wrote a chapter about it in the book called Dying for Purpose. And I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but in a certain moment, at a certain kind of pinnacle point, I became convinced we're gone. I'm dead. I actually was brought here literally to die, and God's somehow going to get glory out of it. And while I'm wrestling through all that and the fear and the panic and the anxiety and the intensity, all of a sudden this peace came over. The presence of God, the delight of God, the joy of God, and this supernatural, overwhelming, you've got it, I'm good, it doesn't matter what happens to me. And so I want to just share with you, I want to just give you a word, no matter what your situation is, hold the comforter through the discomforter, through the discomfort. He's there, he's present. So truth number one, yes, danger doesn't mean don't. Truth number two, danger does often deliver discomfort or deals discomfort. But truth number three, it is where it was all headed to. This is where the goods are at. Danger delivers delight. So we move back to Paul. And in Paul, in the life of Paul, we actually see two forms of delight that I want to offer you this morning. One is what we'll call simply a now delight. The second is what we'll call simply a later delight. You can remember it by now and later, right? If you like that candy, maybe that'll be helpful for you. But the first one we see implied in Paul in his response, and I'm going to tell you his response is so radically different than mine. In Acts 21, 40, the Bible says this, so Paul stood on the stairs, pause. So earlier in the text, as this beating is going down, the Romans step in, they begin to secure him, they're pulling him out, and the Bible tells us that Paul begins to communicate to those Roman officials, hey, look, uh, don't just get me out of here. I've got something I came here to do. Now, I just want to pause there for a moment. If I'm Paul, and I start getting to the top of those stairs, and I'm looking back at this group of people that just about took my life. I'm there for their good, and they're giving me the beat down. I mean, the fisticuffs have been felt on my face. I'm like, peace out. I'm like, sorry, y'all. I'm done. But Paul, he says, no. I didn't come all this way to not finish the work. And so he gets to the top of those stairs. He motions to the people and he steps into a delight. He steps into a moment. He steps into a joy. And he addresses the crowd. And he finishes the work. And he shares the hope of Jesus. And I believe with all my heart as he did. 
He experienced a delight that comes to all of those that persevere and say, God, no matter what, I stand faithful. God, I'm going to finish the work. And as heaven smiles on this man as he stands in the face of danger, the presence of God filling him, the word of God flowing through him, Paul walks in that euphoria that comes to those who don't turn back in the face of danger. And you may say, uh, Michael, where do you derive that not only he did his job, but he experienced that favor of God? Well, it's flavored in the words of Paul. Paul was addicted to this reality of live it all for Jesus and let him take care of it and experience the joy of God. He actually said on his way to this moment, he said in verse 24 of Acts 20, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. It was Paul to say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What can you do to a person that says, I take great joy in doing anything and everything, including putting my life on the line for my design, for the work that God called me to. It was Paul who said, I count it all joy when I face various trials and troubles. He was oriented to the work of God. He was oriented to the person of God. And that led him to experience a delight in God that fills those who persevere in trial. I count it all joy. I count it all joy. But it wasn't just a now delight. He was ultimately motivated by a future delight. He realized that in this life, we can grasp hold of a false, a pseudo temporary enjoyment, a lying gratification, a unsatisfying fulfillment, or we can have delayed gratification, ultimate delight, superior future joy. And Paul was motivated by that. Paul understood what was coming and he understood the challenges he faced as an opportunity to store up treasure where rust and moth cannot touch. And he said things like in 2 Corinthians, for our light and momentary troubles. Pause. What? Are you kidding me? I mean, I'm trying to kill you. I'm dragging you. I'm beating you. I'm binding you. How could Paul look and say, that's light, that's momentary? What on earth inside of him would give him the perspective to cast that type of reality on that real danger, that real suffering? He tells us, it's in the text, for our light and momentary troubles are what? They're achieving for us an eternal glory, an eternal joy, an eternal delight that far outweighs the danger, that that surpasses the momentary trial. He had perspective that was eternal and he pressed into a delight that allowed him to reframe the danger and simply say, my God is watching. There are treasures being laid up. There is an eternal day. There is a well done. There is crowns. There is dwellings. There is position. He understood the dot in the line. The dot in the line. The dot, momentary. The if you're lucky 80 years on planet Earth. 
The line? Eternity. The 23 trillion, 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 trillion years that you were designed for. And Paul simply said, in this life that's like a vapor, I will live for the line instead of the dot. I will understand the context of my suffering and the danger and the challenge. I will look at a world that needs to be reached. I will look at a mission that needs to be accomplished. I will look at the suffering of people around me. I will prioritize the good of others, the glory of God, and an eternal delight that is stored up for those that persevere. And I will allow it to shape my days. And I'll push through the danger because there's coming delight. You see, Paul wasn't foolish. He was fixed. He was locked in on a future delight, and he says as much in 2 Corinthians 4.18. Look, look at his words. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, the temporary danger, the temporary challenge, the temporary discomfort, the sacrifice, not on what I'm giving up, but instead on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Fixed eyes on a future day, on a coming delight, on a coming glory that drove him and led him to say, come what may, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. My reward is ahead. I remember this type of motivation in a microcosm was in my spirit and, and led me to go and do some things that were foreign, right, to the average kind of way that we do things, right, a homeless in Africa. And I was serving alongside brothers and sisters, and, and in that service, something took place. There was a sense of overwhelmed. And at a certain point, the, the challenges that we were facing, the, the cost of doing what we were doing, and, and a sense of feeling alone, it, it began to get in my spirit. I wasn't as strong as Paul. And I'd gotten to a breaking point, maybe even just some depression. And I'm saying, what am I doing here? I mean, we were just on the cusp of something great to happen, but right before the daylight, the darkest feels the greatest. And one particular moment, I'd went down early to the community and I looked at the slum you see on the screen and I just said, I, I'm, I'm wasting my time. What can we truly do? What are we doing? I had friends that were dying and 300,000 people surviving on less than $1.25 a day. And all I could see was the suffering. All I could see was the cost. And I was ready to go home. But as I sat there overlooking the community, I began to crack his word open and say, Spirit of the living God, please, Come and touch me. I need you. And I remembered this scripture that says that God inhabits the praise of people. And I began to recite old hymns and, and sing out. And, and something amazing happened. Like a joy, a delight began to enter my body in a way that is hard to explain. And the Holy Spirit reminded me. The word of God compelled me. And I went from like, I am ready to quit 
They're like, we can do this. Yeah, y'all relate to that? You ever had that moment? And so the next thing you know, after about an hour, I'm like pumped. Like, I'm excited. Like, okay, we can do it. And some of my amazing African brothers and sisters had kind of made their way down. And I pulled them all together and we sat down. And I said, hey, I said, look out over that community. Look out over this. What do you see? And they said, we see the slum. We see the challenge. I said, no, no, no. I said, close your eyes. We see delight. I said, see again. There's a center that's built. You can see it actually playing out on the screen. I said, there's a center that you built, a place that you created that's transforming the environment. Children, youth, adults, they're coming and disciples are being made. You've created not only a place, but you are the workers. You are bringing hope. You are bringing life. We're fighting poverty. We're making sure that there's access to basic needs. We're bringing in economic development. This dream has become a reality. Delight is happening in the community. And by the grace of God, you know what exists today? To a T, exactly what you see. And because of your partnership, because of people who've decided, like you, I'm going to give through the trial. I'm going to stay on mission despite culture. And together we have extended your arms, the arms of Jesus, right now as I speak, food, water, education, health services, gospel, economic development. Hundreds of thousands of lives are being impacted. Great delight is moving forward. Heaven is being populated. And by the grace of God, your impact is phenomenal. I literally flew in last night. I've seen it with my own eyes. Check out the impact, the fruit of your effort. You can see it on the screen. This is what God is doing through a group of people who say, we will prioritize the mission of God a coming delight, we will store up. And I simply say to you, in a culture that will call you to, to set aside the very things that he has designed to bring you ultimate hope, we will have to learn the discipline to look past the danger. We will have to learn the discipline to not cave to our flesh, to not cave to the voices around us, and so I invite you, especially when you're experiencing the trial, gaze at delight that outshines the danger. Great is your future reward. You see, Paul's example, it is compelling. And it calls us to look past the danger and see unending delight. But Paul ultimately called us to follow him as he followed Christ. And Christ, Christ was not blind. Christ saw the danger. He saw the thorns turned into a crown. He saw a whip with nine tails. He beheld a hill shaped like a skull. He was very aware of a wood-hewn timbers. Jesus, with his own eyes, saw a rugged cross and a mob ready to pierce him. But he looked past the danger. He saw a coming delight. And Hebrews tells us that because of the joy 
the happiness, the delight awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, walking through its pain, surviving its danger, and now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. He looked past the danger and took delight. Yes, in the glory of God, Yes, and the fulfillment of the prophecies, but I submit to you today that he took delight in something else. His eyes were fixed on something else. He looked past the danger and he took delight in you. While we were yet sinning, while we were raging against God, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus saw you. Jesus took delight in you experiencing the joy of God. Brothers and sisters, behold the Lamb of God, his fixed eyes. And today, if you have not given your life to him, I invite you to see him afresh. I invite you to step into the opportunity that he now makes available to you. I give you Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you say, you know, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. In the safety of this room, every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to invite you to join me in calling out to him, to making him Lord and Savior. But I want to know who I'm praying with. And so would you be so bold as to raise your hand? Just hold it up high for a moment. I want to see you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Anyone else? Today? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Today, give your life to Jesus. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Praise God. No magic words. It's a life surrendered to Jesus, but pray with me. Jesus, I see you. Thank you for seeing me. I've sinned against you. I've gone my own way. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you died and rose again. I believe that you love me. And today, I not only turn from my way, but I trust in you. I place my hope in you. I choose you and I will follow you. I make you Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for listening to the Local Church Podcast. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and review and share what you learned today. You can connect with us at thelocalchurch.com or by searching The Local Church on your favorite social media platforms. We hope you join us next week for a brand new episode. And remember, you matter to God and you matter to us.